0: This is the Getzy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Well, hi everyone. This is our very first podcast. We're really excited to do it. This is we've kind of been talking about this for a year.
1: Welcome to the podcast.
0: Yes, so we're finally here. I am I'm Janique. And
1: I'm Tristan.
0: And we're married. <laughs> and Sometimes you'll be able to tell. <laughs> but um, but yeah, why why are we doing this podcast, babe?
1: Well, if if I people mean, are listening
0: to us right now, what, what do we want them to take away
1: from this? So in a few words, our, our reason is primarily it's empowerment, but it's also about freedom. It's about cancer, life and death, and it's about connection.
0: And healing the body. Basically and we healing. want, we, we want, like you said, self-empowerment and we want to teach you how to be your own patient advocate to be your own body expert and not have to like ride the medical merry-go-round constantly, jumping from doctor to doctor. Um, the point of this podcast and basically our mission is to help people really take back what our culture has taught us we aren't entitled to, and that is knowledge over our bodies. And so we want to teach you. And also
1: decision-making over our bodies. Yes. Oh, my gosh. all too often we're treated like we are just passive recipients of health, right? We meet with different professionals. They tell us what we're going to do. They give us the thing that we're supposed to take. Mm -hmm. And then we're just supposed to listen. And not ask questions. Yeah, just obey. That's all you're supposed to do. Yep. And that does not work. If it did work, we wouldn't have such terrible health outcomes in our country, right?
0: Absolutely. Um, also, how messy is our medical system? It's it's so broken, and it doesn't serve the patient. It serves the insurance companies. It serves the doctors. It serves big pharma. Um, it's basically a business, and we want to help you understand your place in this business. And, um and so, yeah. So we're going to peel that massively ugly onion one peel at a time through our topics and through um, these podcasts online. You name it, we'll cover it. So, shall we get started?
1: All right, let's jump in.
0: Okay, so um, should we start with we should we should probably start with my story, huh?
1: Let's talk about you. Okay, <laughs> who are you?
0: Who am I? Well. Um, I grew up in South Africa. My mom was kind of, um, my mom was like a naturopath and she was way ahead of the game. So I grew up with like all these hippie things, like drinking apple cider vinegar as like a four-year-old going to school, whereas everyone else had like apple juice and people would like laugh at me. So, um, but, but my mom taught me so much growing up, um, Cut to my twenties. After having Tennyson, my son, who is now five, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's an autoimmune, it's a, it's an autoimmune uh, thyroid disorder where your thyroid is just super amped up and like you can actually die from this like most people die of a heart attack if it's left untreated yeah
1: it's actually pretty terrifying even leading up to any kind of a serious event before it gets there things can be really scary because Mm -hmm. you don't know what's happening you just know that suddenly you are revved up all All the the time time and your heart feels like it's going to explode that was all the time by the way we just did that in sync i know (laughs) so so Graves is a very, very serious thing it's that serious. is very rarely left untreated because when it's left untreated, the expectation from doctors is, is that it will kill you.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so me being a little naive and I'm, and I'm grateful that I was like, I honestly, I, I went and see, I saw a doctor and I did blood work because my mom forced me to, and um, this doctor's like, well, why are you in here today? And I'm like, well, my mom thinks I have Graves' disease. And she's crazy. <laughs> and the doctor was like, you are full-blown Graves'. Like, she laughed at me. And she's like, you you don't just have Graves' disease. You're full-blown Graves'. Like, she took my heart, my resting heart rate, and sitting in that chair, it was 140 beats per minute, which your normal heart rate is normally like 60 to 70.
1: Guys, if, if my heart rate was 140 and I You'd was not in a gym running around, I would be thinking I was having a panic yeah.
0: attack. So, so anyway, so she said, okay, so I'm going to refer you to an endocrinologist. And I'm like, um, please don't. Cause I don't want to get on medication. And I said, give me a few months and I am going to heal this by myself. And she looked at me really skeptically. She's like, I, and I know like that look, she was like, you're crazy. But, um, what she said was come back every month. We're doing blood work. I want to make sure you are not deteriorating fast and furiously. And I was like, okay, fine.
1: Now let, let me tell you something about Johnny real quick. When, she gets told that she cannot do something. <laughs> it just makes her 10 times more determined. I'm so, pretty stubborn. She came home from that appointment, and I have never seen someone so convinced that they were going to figure this out on their own because she was just so ticked off by that individual. I don't remember that actually. Do. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I,
0: all I remember is how terrible I felt during those days. Like, it was a massive blur that I'm glad is blocked out of my memory. Anyways. Uh, long story short I did massive amounts of research I changed my lifestyle I changed my nutrition I took so many supplements and um, and and I cleared it up in six months I did and my doctor was floored she said you need to write a book I'm like why there's so many books out there have you not read them
1: but that's that's the amazing <laughs> thing is that this happens so rarely not because it's impossible in fact it's maybe not fair to say this, but it was pretty simple for Jeannic. Not easy, right? It took a lot of discipline on her part, but it, it was it was really, really hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember remembering that, I was uh-huh. like, I, and it was hard because I felt so bad. Like, I was constantly sick. It was
1: a lot of work, but the solution was not really, yeah. the solution complicated. Was it mm-hmm. was just... Fix the nutrition, find the underlying causes, and support the body in doing Mm. what it does best naturally, which is to heal. The problem, though, is that no one ever gets an opportunity to do it because your doctor is not going to say, "Oh, I have a nutritional protocol for that." Mm -hmm. They're going to say, "Oh, I've got either a medication or a surgery for that." Right? Yeah. And and so all these people are going through these life changing treatments that they have no control over because they don't know better and it affects them for the rest of their life because in this case of graves disease it usually results in your thyroid being basically Mm non-functional or non-existent yeah so
0: they have to cut it out of it like if it's really severe they either do radioactive iodine which kills it or they cut it out completely because it's killing you
1: so imagine a system where every time something starts going wrong, we just cut it out of the body. Eventually, you're going to run out of body parts, right? right. It's just not a very sustainable approach to health. Right. So, well,
0: and in the medical world, they're, they're like, well, we don't know what caused this, so let's just start treating symptoms. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, wait, let's start like tracing back my steps, as to why this started in the first place, like what is the cause? What's the root cause? And doctors don't ask that. They're and it's not their job to ask that. They're not, they're not detectives in the health system. They are medical doctors that put your symptoms in a box and then match up medications for those system, like for those symptoms. So, um, so they're they're not experts in root causes. They're that's they've never been trained in that. I mean. most doctors that I've spoken with, they they often tell me their nutrition training in medical school is like 45 minutes. And I'm like, that's, that's not a lot of time for something so significant in the human body.
1: At at best it's a semester with one course, right? So they're getting, you know, maybe a a few hours a week, but most doctors, and it's important that we say most here because there are exceptions. Mm -hmm, There are lots of incredible doctors out there who have gone above and beyond their medical school training in order to become a better resource to their patients. Right. And those doctors are the ones that we're always seeking out and we're trying to connect people with. Mm-hmm. But when we speak about doctors in quotes, what we're right. referring to is this general medical system that's been set up in our country to basically diagnose and medicate. right, and And that's it. They don't have time to do anything else. It is not The system is not set up so that they have the ability much less the knowledge to get to the root cause of what's going on for people. And that's why we need other resources. And that's why we are doing this podcast, because we want to help you find the resources that allow you to fill in the gaps where the medical system has left you hanging.
0: Yeah. Now, before we go to your story, I just want to put a plug in for why my healing journey was so easy. Um, I had spent my entire life being raised by a woman who ingrained in me that lifestyle is everything And so I believed that and I just jumped forward. Like it made so much sense to me. So I was like, well, why can't, like, I know the body is designed to heal. Like, therefore I'm going to take the steps to heal it. Whereas the majority of people out there don't like, they they have no idea. And so, um, so that like, I I do want to make that distinction. Like, like that was very clear to me. And that's why I was able to take the steps I took. Whereas most people they're like, they're not very trusting of that. And so we hope that we can educate people enough that they can be trusting of their own body's mechanics and, and know that their body can do that. And so.
1: that also brings up kind of your your world perspective, which is something we'll be talking about a mm-hmm. fair amount on the podcast. Like which
0: reprogramming is- culture, reprogramming mm-hmm. like expectations, because our the culture around our health is so broken. It's so oh my gosh, it's it's depressing,
1: really. When it comes to research, uh, scientists and doctors love to talk about the placebo effect and how it's proof that something isn't actually working. But when you get down to it, the placebo effect could be the most important thing in healing. And it's not just to say that, well, you thought it was going to happen and therefore you notice something that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. This is a much deeper and more meaningful change than the placebo effect ever gets credit for. And it single-handedly could be what heals a person as long as they've got the right mindset.
0: Now, we're not saying this podcast about is about placebo effects, obviously, but... Um but yeah it's like stress mind over matter like we're gonna be talking about all those things one of the
1: things Janique really likes to say is where thoughts go energy flows yes
0: I got that from Tony Robbins (laughs) She
1: got that from one of our heroes Tony Robbins (laughs) and it is so true and so what we are going to do among many other things is try to get your thoughts into the realm of what is possible for Mm -hmm. you not where you've been not the things that have failed but what could happen that would change everything for you if you were to just give it a shot, have the right resource, have the right knowledge.
0: Exactly, the right people coaching you through that. Anyway, should we get into your story? Uh,
1: Real quick, I wanna Mm -hmm. mention jean mom one more time. We keep talking about her and um, she's actually really important to what we do. Her name is Cecilia and she is one of our mentors. She is Mm -hmm. one of our business partners and she is just a brilliant Encyclopedia of natural health knowledge.
0: She's got like what 35 years of 34, 33 years of um, clinical experience. Yeah,
1: I always just say three decades because that is a really big number. But She's going to be on this podcast a fair amount herself. We're mm-hmm. going to try to get her on here at least once every month or so. Exactly. Depending on how schedules work out. But uh, she is a, a fantastic resource and she's from South Africa. So she has this incredible accent. accent. Johnny's from South Africa too, but she's sold out. So if
0: you're wondering, well, how can a South African sound like an American? I moved, we immigrated when I was 15 and I just wanted to make friends and I sounded weird. I looked weird. And so I was like, maybe if I sound like everyone, I'll have friends. So yeah, everyone tells me what, how sad it is that I lost my accent, but you guys are stuck with this one. So Okay, babe, let's get into right. your so story. Let's, and
1: let's talk about the boring person in the no, group here. you guys,
0: he's, no, this story. And I know we're we're dragging our feet because we hate talking about this. We, yeah,
1: it's, I mean, we talk about <sighs> it all the time, but it's still never fun. And it always brings up a lot of old feelings, but. A lot of trauma. That's right. I've been working on this lately, so. Really? It's a good test job. run for me. Good job. <laughs> so, so just to give a little bit of background on me, um, I, I have a master's degree in contemplative psychotherapy, which is like Buddhist meditation. And at the the time that all of this kind of occurred, I was in the military. Uh, I was doing, so he
0: was getting his Ph.D. Was, in psychology. He was right. about six months out to be to be to being done, basically.
1: Yeah, I was almost doctor Roney, but almost. didn't quite make it. Uh I was uh, so yeah, in the military in the Air Force, but uh we were just a few months away from being done with that whole thing and uh finally starting a career in my 30s. And I was diagnosed with uh cancer.
0: Stage 4 colon cancer, mind you.
1: It came out of a nowhere. Nasty one. Um We did not expect it, but uh, there it was. And it derailed everything for me, right? I ended up uh, having to withdraw from my program that would have helped me finish my PhD. And because of that, I also ended up leaving my PhD program. So I did not get to complete that journey, but it led us on to a completely different journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how much detail do we want to go into of the actual?
0: I think people would like the details. And I think it's important that we share the story so that people know where we're coming from.
1: So when I was first diagnosed, we only thought that it was stage three cancer. And in the military, stage three is actually an acceptable level of cancer uh, to stay in as long as you get treatment and it's successful. So, So,
0: So just backing up a little bit. So when we found out, like the reason why he even got tested in the first place was because he just like his symptom was he just couldn't poop. No and other symptoms, right? Like I didn't none. have
1: blood in my stool. I none didn't then. feel sick. I wasn't weak. I wasn't losing weight. None of the telltale signs of cancer other than it was just a little bit difficult to go to the bathroom.
0: So so we okay, so we in June of that year, we moved to San Antonio, Texas, away from family. I fall pregnant immediately, and then a few months later, um, it was actually the same day I was getting my twenty week ultrasound. We were in the same hospital. Tristan was getting a colonoscopy. And I finished my ultrasound. I go three stories up. And I remember walking into the room and asking the technician how Tristan was. And she gave me this like really grave look. And I was like, I had like red flags immediately. I was like, what is happening? And that's when they mentioned like they couldn't get the, what what is it? The the camera?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the colonoscopy camera. They couldn't get it. It's too big to get past the tumor. The, the tumor. They even switched it out for the pediatric camera, which was smaller. And even that one couldn't get by. So that kind of gives you an idea of how large yeah. this tumor was. I believe yeah. it was about five inches, although I don't know which direction, Right. Um, but the important thing is that it, it, <laughs> it was, was massive, it was right? This was big. a a very progressed disease by yeah. the time we realized it was there. So. And, and so, you know, you can imagine all the thoughts that were going through our heads, all of the fears and Yes. Questions and everything like that. It was it was an awful time for us. Terrible. But it forced us to face a lot of our demons, things that we may have gotten away with not looking at for another few decades. But uh,
0: I don't have any demons. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I what mean, demons my demons. Are you about? <laughs> I, I, was, I should be more specific. They were purely my demons, none of Jeanneke's. So, uh, so we got to face these, and that was actually a really important part of our journey because. It uh, forced us to look at ourselves differently. It forced Mm -hmm. us to actually start looking at possibilities rather than, what had happened in the past, because what they were telling me, according to the statistics, my odds were not good, even so like before we knew survival rates even before we knew it was stage four cancer and we thought it was only stage three, the survival rates are like four to five percent mm-hmm. that's that's not good. not good, so we had to start telling ourselves a very different story, and the doctors were not going to help us no right the doctors no. are they 're just so bad at giving people what they consider to be false hope Mm. that they would rather not say anything than tell you what they're really thinking, which is sayonara.
0: Well, and what I remember like going to your oncology appointments and like, we would find massive amounts of research to like, to integrate with his chemotherapy and we would like email it to the oncologist or bring it to the oncologist and he wouldn't even look at it. Like he wouldn't discuss it with us. And I was like, and I'm like, you, you say you're trying to help us, but you're only wanting to help us in your lane. Like you're not willing to look at other options. You're not willing to discuss um, how to better approach this. I even remember, and this is, again, I go back to patient advocacy. It had been months, like after chemo and radiation and like surgeries, I remember going to the oncologist and being like, have we even checked his mutation type? Like, have you guys done any kind of biopsy to see what mutation it was? And they hadn't. And I'm like, how can you not check the mutation? Because certain chemotherapy drugs work better for different mutations. Why wouldn't we want to check this? Like, why wouldn't we want to get more specific? Why are we putting everyone through this exact same protocol when everyone's cancer mutations are different? And so so that's when I really started. I mean, and we were like six, seven months already into our cancer journey when I started getting these massive aha moments of, they are not going to go the extra mile for us. Like I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to find this information. I'm going to have to push for more testing, more blood work, more treatments because they weren't going to do that for us.
1: Right. So we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves though. So, as you can already tell, probably we did opt to do the conventional treatments. I went through radiation, mm-hmm. chemotherapy. How
0: many rounds of radiation was it? 35?
1: Uh, it was five times a week for six or, six or seven six weeks. weeks. I think it was 30. Anyway. Okay. Somewhere was, around 30 a, a to 35 you, And you were also
0: taking a chemo drug at the same time.
1: I was doing an oral chemo drug during that time. Then I got a week off and then we started the chemo. actual full on chemo where they, I had a port put into my chest and they inserted the, the chemo. It was a drip for like four hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And I would do that every few weeks. Every uh, three weeks. Every three weeks, right? Yeah. And I would do oral chemo in between that as well. So it was a lot of chemo, a lot of mm. radiation. I had how many surgeries? I got. Five. Uh, at at <laughs> least five. I yeah, mean, I if you fine. count the minor surgeries, like putting in the, the port part. and everything, it might have been even more. But mm-hmm. uh, during all of this, it, it was an experience of helplessness a lot of the time because we found out pretty quickly that our oncologists were not necessarily going to listen to what we had to say. I mean, they would listen, but they wouldn't do anything about it, right? Right. Um, I, I
0: remember bringing the research about um, using um, drugs that pre- prohibit a vessel production in the body from the tumor cells and the oncologist being like, well, we will try that when we need to. And I, and I remember thinking when we need to, like when he's on death's door, is that when we're going to need to like, yeah. his body won't even be able to take any more drugs at that point. Like when is this point of need to, because like it just it didn't like in my mind I'm like you guys are just telling telling me that to to placate me, right? To be like yeah. keep quiet, stop asking questions, we're in charge.
1: Now, now my experience is not the experience of everybody and mine might be on the extreme side of things. I was in a military training hospital, which means that not only was it military individuals, which means everything is very by the book, but it was a training hospital, which means they had a lot of students, right? Residents who are still learning. And but because they, of that protocols are extremely important to them.
0: But even like because it was a training hospital, they had the latest and greatest. According to them, they had the latest in the research and the late. Like they were ahead of the game compared to most hospitals, right. and I remember them constantly bringing that up. And I was like, "You guys are so archaic! Come on!" Anyways. So,
1: um, so there was that experience, and then um, you know, after nine months of this, was it nine months? Basically. Yeah. Nine months. We, we go in for a follow up scan. And when we meet with the oncologist who, by the way, brand new oncologist, Mm -hmm. we've never met him before this day because my old oncologist had been transferred to another base, right? Military. Yay. So we show up, we meet this guy for the first time and he jumps in and basically says, so let's talk about these lung metastases. And we had never heard about these before. Like it was, brand new information to us. right? And so we stopped and went, wait, wait a second. Can you say that again? He's like, oh, you didn't know. <laughs>
0: well, you you had the nodules in your lungs we, that we were keeping an eye on. Right. You know, they, we, they were like, they could just be benign. We're not sure. They're not showing up on the PET scans. And so we kept our eye on them and they, they hadn't really grown until after all this treatment. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom, they got bigger. And we're like, what? Like, isn't the chemo supposed to stop this?
1: No. So we made a huge mistake at that point and we said, listen, we want you to just be completely really honest, honest with us. What like what are Tristan's odds here, right? And he said, basically, not good. Like five percent if we're lucky, you might get two years.
0: Yeah. And that that was I remember that day was like one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> like it was it was really that, that whole weekend was just because we found out was it a Friday or a Thursday, and I remember this like this dark veil over like my mind and my soul all the way through until Sunday, yeah. um, just processing basically.
1: Yeah, that was the single worst moment of my life uh, because the when I got the initial diagnosis, I was really messed up on Ativan. They had drugged me for the colonoscopy, and I was too out of it to really emotionally process what they were telling me. I understood and I knew that it was bad, but I was, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds mm-hmm. pretty bad. This one, I was not drugged at all. It was <laughs> terrible. And yeah, just like Janique, it was a, a few days of darkness and having to regroup and once again, face those demons and figure out, okay, what is my story now? Because the story that I've been handed is a very short one, right? Mm-hmm. It's gonna end out. Really soon here, I'm just going to die. That's that's not an acceptable outcome to me. So right. how am I going to rewrite this story? Or more importantly, how are we going to rewrite this story yeah. so that our family has a successful ending, that we turn this into something beautiful? Yeah. And that was kind of the really the birth of this whole movement that yeah. we're trying to create here.
0: Well, I remember, so it was the Sunday where things started turning around for me. When, um, we made, so one of Tristan's, uh, cohort, uh, groupies, what do you guys call each other in the military? (laughs) Yeah. Groupies. (laughs) Groupies. Definitely. Um, he texts Tristan and said, listen, can my wife and I bring you guys food? Like, and we said, yes, I'd, I'd never met these people before. And, um, and I'll never forget this. Um, Jamie comes over with, um, with Marcelo and, and she, 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 it was amazing. Cause she brought this meal. She's like, everything's organic. There's no sugar. There's no, and I was like, how do you know how I eat? You know, but <laughs> she just, she knew. And she said, I want to tell you something. I, I met this lady in the the, the health food store back in Denver when they, they uh, they moved from Colorado for the military to Texas. And she said, I met this lady and um, she, she told me she had breast cancer and she was trying curcumin and her tumors were shrinking. And she said, You should really start researching curcumin. And it was almost like a light switch turned on because I was in this like blackness, like this veil had just completely destroyed me. And she turned this light switch on. And I remember from that day forward getting into this, this um this frenzy of research. And then that's literally what I did for months. Like I probably spent like eight. To fifteen hours a day researching, mind you, I have a six month old and a three year old, and I I just remember like honestly those next few months, all I remember was sitting on my phone or a laptop researching, putting kids down for naps, researching, making food, researching. Girlfriends would ask me to go out with them, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm onto something. I am I'm 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 in the zone, and it was as if these massive epiphanies started happening, and And that's when, um, um, I don't know, should we start talking about the clinic? That's when I got, I came to Tristan one day and I said, Tristan, I think we need to buy a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. (laughs) And he's like, a what? And I'm like, no, like a real hyperbaric oxygen chamber, the kind you get in hospitals.
1: So do you remember when I said that Jeanique doesn't like being told that she can't do something? So try (laughs) telling her that her husband's going to die and she can't do anything about it. Um, These machines are serious business, guys, like, each one of them, I mean, if you were to buy them brand new, they would be half a million dollars, but even Mm. used, even if they're 30 years old, you're still looking at well over a hundred thousand dollars to get a whole setup there. So when she came to me and said, we're going to do this, My initial reaction was a little bit skeptical. I was like, we're
0: selling our house. We're buying these chambers. We're going to get you better. We're going to start a clinic. Um."
1: I wish I could say that's the only time that's ever happened in my life, but uh, it seems to be a regular occurrence in our family. What do you mean? (laughs) You coming to me with a ridiculous plan (laughs) and it actually happens. Sometime we'll talk about a house that we live in right
0: now. Oh jeez. we won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so so long story short, we leave Texas, we get um, we get back to Provo and we start um, installing this hyperbaric chamber, and then we got the ozone sauna, the the, the hocket, which stands for hyperthermic ozone carbonic acid transdermal therapy. Nailed it. And um and then and then we just so we didn't just start our own clinic. We kind of moved into my mom's pre-existing clinic because remember how my mom is this like naturopath hippie from South Africa. So she already had a clinic where she did consultations and all kinds of things. And so she was graceful enough to be like, uh, sure. Bring this stuff in. So we literally revamped everything and we brought in this massive amount of machinery and just went to town And not only that, but then we brought in the hair DNA analysis and we're bringing in all these other programs and creating this holistic center where people can come where they can't where because they can't find answers anywhere else. And so when people ask us, what are we? We're patient advocates because we have been in that space of helplessness where doctors couldn't help us. Um, no one could help us. Medicine couldn't help us. No one could give us answers without paying hundreds of thousands of dollars and going to either Europe or Mexico and trying to find answers there. But then that would be like, like one to $2,000 a week for treatment from these people. Um, I remember saying to Tristan, when we were talking about buying these hyperbaric chambers, I said, we need to create a clinic that has soul that has a purpose where we aren't, because this is what happens. And I don't remember who told me this, but it's stuck. Um, and I, oh, I wish I remember who told me this, but they said, when you get cancer, look for the vultures mm. because everyone is trying to make money off of you because you're desperate. You will pay anything to not die. And so then people and are like, you, right. and it's true. Like people sell their homes to go to these clinics in Mexico or wherever to get a second chance. And a lot of times like it doesn't work. And not only that, but now you have no money and you're completely bankrupt. And so I told Tristan, I said, I said, when we create this clinic, we're going to be patient advocates. We're going to have a soul. We're going to help people. And we are not going to nickel and dime them for everything. We're going to make it affordable and we're going to be on their team. And Educate the heck out of them so that they know how to make the best choices for their healthcare. And um and I and I think I think we do a pretty good job of that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we at least try. And it, it is an obligation for us because we are lucky. I know our story sounds tragic in a lot of ways, but we have been so fortunate because in spite of this terrible diagnosis, the stars lined up perfectly for us. Really I was in the military when I got diagnosed, which means that they covered all of my treatment, which mm-hmm. is probably well over a million dollars at this point. And we had these fantastic resources in our parents that were able to help us both mm-hmm. emotionally and materially and Gosh, in so many different ways. Right. I mean, both of our parents spent way more time in San Antonio, Texas than they ever expected yeah. to in their lives, just helping us out, helping us with our kids while we were dealing with everything.
0: And both our parents helped us get this clinic going, basically. It, was, it was a team effort. We had a tribe help us. And so we were very blessed in that sense.
1: And, and because of that, it is an obligation for us to help others and to sort of pass it forward, yeah. pay, it, pay it forward something it forward. That's good. Yes. Um, all right. So since that time, it's been, this all happened. It started in 2016 yeah. in November. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I I really did my last treatment in September of 2017. And at that point we kind of gave up on the medical world because they gave up on me. They told me that all they could really do for me is put me on chemo for the rest of my life. And that that might extend my life a few months, but I would be sick the whole time. Right. And I don't know about you, but the prospect to me of being sick for several years and then dying anyway was not that appealing. and,
0: and, And part of me was like, why are we giving him a drug that clearly isn't working? Like it didn't shrink the tumors in his lungs. They actually got worse. Like why would we poison his body? Well,
1: I mean, to be fair, they were ready to experiment with other drugs that were.
0: Yeah, experiment. Well, right. I mean, I mean like, that's,
1: that's what it is, right? In, in medicine, yeah. it's a practice. And right. that's because if they They're had still it practicing. figured out, then they wouldn't ever have anyone die. So
0: and so and and we and I was like, heck no. I remember you were actually getting ready to sign the papers to be like, sure, let's do more chemo. And I was like, what are you doing? It was
1: chemo brain. Give me it was
0: I was like, why are you doing this? Like I said, stop. Let's go home and talk about this and look at our options. And I'm so glad we did that.
1: Yeah, and we ended up consulting with a few other oncologists. We did. I guess at least we two other oncologists. We went to the Block Clinic. We went to the Block Clinic in Chicago, which is, he's kind of a renowned integration, yeah. integrative oncologist. He does
0: chronomodulated chemotherapy, which is fantastic. And mm-hmm. um, if, if anyone in my family had to do chemo, it would be at the block clinic. Like that's how I would want it administered to But them. his
1: clinic also takes into account the rest Nutrition of your and soul, right? And mm-hmm.
0: exercise and I remember the one thing he told us was the most important thing you can do is get good sleep. Do you remember that? He said, make sure you're sleeping, which you're not doing right now.
1: Oh, (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. So we're going to do an episode soon on sleep and I'm going to feel just like Like a a terrible hypocrite hypocrite the whole time, but we don't sleep. I know how important it is because I don't do it. So, so, but uh, so we went out and we spoke with him. We got some really good advice. We went to
0: MD Anderson. We also went to MD Anderson. Which and, is the number one cancer clinic in the entire of the USA. And so. I'll tell
1: you, that is a big business down there. That oh place was massive. It, it was like Disneyland for cancer. I'm pretty sure
0: like up. half of Houston supports MD. Like like MD Anderson <laughs> brings in like half the amount of money that Houston makes
1: Period. So overall, I would say it was less helpful than the block clinic, but they did confirm a lot of our kind of expectations about mm-hmm. what would be most helpful for me. So, yeah. so anyway, at that point, we started doing our own thing. That's when we decided to get the big machines and put them in our own clinic. And I changed my diet. I had been working on my diet half-heartedly, but at that point, I went very serious That's with your it. game. Yeah. And, uh, we, I mean, essentially, yeah, I did the vegan thing for over a year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, I mean, we just did a lot of things differently. I left the military now. I don't want to knock on the military, but it's a stressful environment, especially for someone like me, who my background was in meditation and (laughs) hippiness. Right. So, so going from a, a hippie mindset to the military was stressful for me. Um, I was handling it, I thought, but I got cancer. So who knows? Now, leaving it, though, was huge for my mental well-being. And going back to that being really fortunate, um, during this time, I had the flexibility to not work, which meant that I was able to focus almost entirely on my own well-being and being with my family. And I Mm -hmm. think that that was also a huge part of everything. It was. So so here we are. It's been uh, almost two years since my last treatment. Yeah. And I am still going strong, everybody. Feeling amazing. I work out as much as my time permits me to. Yeah, I do, I feel great. Um, better than you ever have, right? I feel better than I ever have. Well, yeah. If
0: I think if you got more sleep, then you'd feel better I, than you ever have. <laughs> I think if we didn't yeah. have two small children, you would feel better than you ever have.
1: Yeah, we have two small children and they like our bed more than they like their own beds. Yeah, but, so we uh, get
0: kicked all, t- all, all night long, basically. Anyway.
1: Different, different things. So anyway, my story is a success story and it's not, we're not telling you this story to say, look what we accomplished. We're awesome. And also we can help you accomplish the same thing. We can't guarantee that. I would love to guarantee that, but we can't guarantee that. The reason why we tell the story though, is because it is our own journey to self-empowerment to self-determination, yeah. right? And that is what we really want for you, for everybody, is to have the power in your own life to take your health back, to be responsible for your own physical, mental, and emotional well-being yes. and become healthy again. Stop letting other people dictate, dictate that what you feel like every day, because they're not very good at it. We are not good at healing people in our country the way that we've been doing it for the no. last couple generations. No, we're not.
0: Not at all. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, if like, if it's not working, why do we keep doing it over and over and over again? I mean, we, we see in our culture, like people don't get better for medication. They have to keep like changing their medication and um, when no one is looking at stress and lifestyle and nutrition. And so, um, so anyway, so we created the clinic, Tristan started doing treatments. And now what we do is hyperbaric ozone nutrition therapy. But with a lot of our clientele, we go, um, one of our podcasts is going to be the nutrition pyramid that we have created, and the importance well, of nutrition. health pyramid.
1: It's way bigger than nutrition. Yeah, sorry
0: the the healing pyramid. I should say the healing pyramid, yeah. and what healing should look like, and how it should be prioritized. And at the bottom of that pyramid is nutrition. Like like a lifestyle change needs to be had in order to. Um, in order for people's bodies to be able to heal? Because if you think of your body like a house, right? Like, And your house that's constantly under construction, how can you repair that house if you have no materials? And we get our materials from food. And so are we getting good materials or bad materials? Are we building our house with sticks or are we building them with bricks?
1: Well, and imagine if your house started falling over and you call a contractor over and he says, oh yeah, you need a new paint job. So, I'm going to recommend this really expensive paint, and that should really fix it up. And you would look at them like they were insane, right? Because clearly paint is not going to do the trick here. But that is basically what medication mm-hmm. is if you are not addressing the more fundamental issues with right. your health, which get back to that nutritional piece, which get back to that spiritual and yep. mental well being piece, right? Exactly. The social, the, I mean, there's so many things that need to be addressed right. before medication is even on the table, unless it's an emergency situation. Right.
0: So so when we started our clinic and we started doing the hair DNA analysis and um, recommending treatments to people, um, what was really interesting was we would find all these answers, like nutritional deficiencies, and we would give them a list of foods to eat. And wh- what was so frustrating was no one was actually implementing these changes. And well, so we it took us almost two years to figure out why. Like, we're giving you answers. Why can't you implement this? Like, why is it so hard? And we realized that um, we're not just asking people to eat better. We're asking them to completely revamp their lifestyle and their culture. And basically everything that they've learned about food um,
1: the reason why we figured this out though is because it wasn't nobody that was following right. the recommendations. It was far too many people were not so, following the recommendations. Exactly. But we would get these fantastic success stories and enough to keep us going, obviously. But those success stories were what taught us this really key principle yes. because they wouldn't just go and take our recommendations and start implementing them. They would dive in head first, right? Mm-hmm. They were addressing everything with enthusiasm, they were passionate about this and they were the ones that got the results.
0: Yeah, exactly. They, they were, they did the, cause I, we create these meal plans and they would do the meal plan to a T they would address the stress. They would take their supplements. Um, and so we would see these phenomenal results. Oh, there's
1: one more really important factor too, which was that they believed it was going to help them.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, um, And so we started looking at all of these incredible like success stories that you wouldn't believe. And then we started looking at those that couldn't follow through. And I remember having this epiphany of it's it's not the meal plan, it's the culture around food. Like, how do we reprogram their a complete lifestyle change? Like Because food is so emotional, right? The most addicting substance on the planet is sugar. followed by salt, followed by cocaine.
1: Uh, We can argue about where salt falls in there. Okay, so
0: sugar is the most addicting substance on the planet. How do you take a drug addict whose drug of choice is sugar, which is then normalized by culture, and then be like, okay, go cold turkey from now on? It, 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 doesn't ha- it doesn't happen.
1: And that really is our issue. Our culture is addicted to sugar. It is. Right. And so,
0: so I wasn't just asking people to eat healthy. I was asking them to completely change their lifestyle. And a lifestyle that they have been used to for decades. A lifestyle that they were trained in from childhood. Um, so I realized I needed to implement a program that not only gives people answers, but it handholds them through making these lifestyle changes while educating them as to why this is so important. Because research shows, when you are learning about these implementations, you are more successful, um, you follow through more often. And so I remember telling Tristan, I'm like, we need to give them the meal plans and we need to constantly educate them and we need to coach them through it until it becomes so ingrained in them that it's that it's natural and normal because it's not a diet. Diets are short-term. Again, I keep going. It's lifestyle shifting. It's cultural shifting. It's expectation shifting. And that is what this gutsy a health program is that we created because of our experience in the clinic.
1: And I'm not kidding. The one thing that we don't do with this program is move into your house. Right. Because (laughs) that is the only way we could take this to an even simpler level. level. As it is though, we're doing everything but that. So Mm -hmm. all that you have to do is show up. Basically. All you have to do is show Mm -hmm. up and Follow this step-by-step process. And and most importantly, trust it. You've got to trust the process. It's proven. It's been done over and over again with success. You just have to get on board.
0: Yes. Well, I remember um, back actually when we lived in Texas three years ago. And I... so. So, what happened when Tristan was actually diagnosed with cancer was his mom, Kim, flew out to Texas and she completely took everything out of my pantry. She taught me how to cook massive amounts of vegetables and soups and all kinds of things, things that weren't intuitive for me. Like cooking good food, healthy food, is really intimidating because how do you make it taste good? Where do you start? How, where do you even start? And so Kim handheld me through this process. And I remember she had left and it had been like a week in this, my new lifestyle. And, um, and I remember thinking, how do I teach other people to do this? How do I recreate what Kim created in my life? Because now I was cooking massive amounts of vegetables and making these incredibly tasty soups. And like, my ch- Tennyson, cause I only had one kid at the time, um, but I was like stupid pregnant and, um, and he was starting to eat it. And I remember being like, people need to know this. People need a Kim in their life to help them take them through this process to revamp them because it is scary. It is daunting. It's intimidating. And so,
1: so if you want to rent Johnny for a month, it's uh, only $5,000 a week. uh, She'll (laughs) move in and do what My mom did for her. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't
0: think my boss would be happy with that. And by my (laughs) boss, I mean my children. (laughs) (laughs) They wouldn't be happy.
1: All right, fine. $10,000 a (laughs) week. No,
0: They they still wouldn't be happy. Final offer. (laughs) So, so basically, so, from cancer to creating a clinic to trying to educate people on these lifestyle changes to realizing that changing people's lifestyle is actually really, really massive. So, we created this program that could help them, th- could literally handhold them through it. Um, and so, that is where. The Gutsy Health Project now comes in that we're launching soon, and we're so excited about it.
1: And this program, I mean, this podcast that we're doing is an integral part of that mm-hmm. because our goal is to spread this information to as many people as possible. Exactly. The podcast is the kind of the beginner's version of it all, right? Where yeah. we're going to introduce the concepts, but we're not necessarily going to be able to help people implement the, the how. Right. They're just going to know the why. Right. So, um, this is huge, but the program itself is definitely next level stuff. Well,
0: and another reason for the program was I I kept getting people from all over the world in the country, country of the USA, um, um, message me and be like, I wish I could come to your clinic to get treatments. And I said, you don't need to be here. All you need to do is change your nutrition first. Like that is so massive. Like if you change your nutrition there is a really high chance you don't need treatment. Like I am not in the business of selling treatment. I'm in the business of healing people and treatment should be our last resort. And so I, so I kept telling these people all over the world, like try the nutrition first, implement these changes first, see what your body can do by itself to heal itself. And then we will fill in the missing pieces. And so the gutsy health program, the Gutsy Health membership, like that can be done from anywhere. We are coaching you every day. We're giving you your meal plans. We're doing private classes. We're giving you courses to do that are designed by us so that people can feel empowered and become their own experts so that they know how to advocate for themselves, for their spouses, for their children, and 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 basically i mean i don't want to say this cuz it might sound weird but basically become us become us and fight for fight become for their better than us <laughs> become better than <laughs> us so that they know how to fight for their health and their wellness because everyone is entitled to having health and we just don't know how to navigate that, we don't know how to navigate the medical system. We don't know how where to start looking. It's extremely intimidating. So that's what the Gutsy Health membership program is all about: is basically having us on your team every day, teaching you how.
1: And I think it's also important uh, to mention that we don't just teach this and talk about this; we live it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean our our nutrition is fundamental in our lives mm-hmm. we're not perfect we no. we definitely we
0: don't expect perfection either no because everyone's human
1: we don't but on the whole our diets are really good and we have a relationship with food that makes that fairly easy for us yeah and so when we talk to you about these things we're not just talking from our pedestal in abstract right. terms this is stuff that we've lived ourselves mm-hmm. it's stuff that we have worked with other people and doing we've experimented mm-hmm. sometimes very unsuccessfully Yeah,
0: and even like reprogramming our children well tennyson yeah. especially you know he oh my gosh he's such a good eater it's incredible but he hasn't
1: always been no we we and went through some tough times with him it
0: took almost three years to get him to this point where he's now turning down candy he's eating tons of vegetables he's experimenting with new vegetables i mean it's It's taken a lot of work. And And that's,
1: that's huge. He's a five-year-old kid and he literally turns down candy after I give him permission to eat it. Right. You know, it's, it's amazing. That's a big deal.
0: And so, but, but even in this membership where we, we're going to help teach moms on how to feed their kids healthy food, like we're going to be real and say, it's going to take some time but you have this online community to support you and remind you you're doing amazing. And not only that, but you're going to hear other mom stories too. So you don't feel so alone and you don't have that mom guilt following you as well. Um, and so, and community is everything. Having a tribe with similar interests and similar goals is everything. It, it can make or break you. And so, and a lot of people when they're implementing these changes, a lot of times their spouses aren't on board, their kids aren't on board. So having your tribe online, just supporting you through that, um, could 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 be the game changer for you.
1: Absolutely. The reason why so many of us are in a, a mess when it comes to our health is because we live in a tribe that does not support mm-hmm. good health.
0: Exactly. So
1: if we can just change that and make the primary health tribe the one that supports good health then we can change everything.
0: Yep. And yeah, I guess that's it. That's, that's, that's everything on my bullet point list that we're supposed to talk about. I think
1: we probably got it. I think we
0: covered it. Yeah. So, um, thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, we really excited to start this. So, um, so yeah, I hope you stick around on this, uh, journey of self empowerment and advocacy.
1: And we'll see you next time.